This is Sabi Podcast yet number 3 I think. Yes. But actually the fourth episode because we start with zero like uh, proper uh, geeks. Uh welcome to our podcast yet. Um this is Vijay from Holland. Walter from Belgium. And we have special guest today. Our special guest is Carol. Hi Carol. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So we were just talking about theremins and what, what the other one the MS whatever what not the Korg MS20 Yeah so we started talking about audio stuff first so what maybe I think we can use theremin as a as a introduction like okay what what is theremin A theremin is a musical instrument that you play with by waving your hands in the air near antennas and it goes it's pretty neat Um <laughs> so you know do you know ghost sounds from I don't know like 1930 19 it's like really old movies like the sounds that ghosts make Yeah 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 that's a theremin Oh so okay. it's like a very spooky and so Carol has a yeah people can't see this on the podcast with her Carol has a box with a theremin an unassembled like a, not an not unassembled constructed theremin, theremin in Everyone yeah. should tweet at my husband Jake Goulding and tell him to put his theremin together. He will love that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So so internet do your thing. <laughs> so peer pressure from the internet. We yes. want pictures or it didn't happen. Oh, or, yes, yeah. Or music video. from theremin. Yeah. <laughs> or even better. <laughs> But how does it work though? Is it like having some sort of a electromagnetic signal going through some two areas or something? I Some have no idea on the physics behind it. Kind of. It's magic. <laughs> like one hand kind of controls the volume and the other mm. controls the pitch somehow. I don't know. Yeah, I think the the best way to I remember reading it some time ago like best way to get the right answer is essentially saying something wrong on the internet. I think mm, theremin works yeah. by, you know, pulling strings around and then somebody is going to post this video and then tell us how wrong we are and give us like a 20 page explanation on Reddit. Yes. Bill characters. <laughs> I prefer to let it remain a mystery. So I don't want to know how it works. <laughs> The mystery instrument. Yes. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> It's definitely ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um we're talking about music obviously. Um so that uh, let's get into the right segue of getting into Rust. So this is Rust podcast and uh, this is episode number 4 and um uh I I don't think for most of the people in the Rust community they would need any introduction about uh, you Carol, but it will be nice if you can tell us a couple of words about yourself. How did you get into Rust? Sure. Um yeah. I am the co-author of the Rust programming language book uh that comes with every Rust installation. I'm really proud of that work. Um with my husband Jake, I have authored the Rust in Motion video series for Manning that is intended to be a quick introduction to the topics that are mm-hmm. most different about Rust uh from other programming languages. I maintain help maintain Crates.io um which is the back end is written in Rust. Um I started uh the Rustlings project that is has now been taken over by uh Marisa on the community team. Um but that was a 
a fun project that I started and is growing, and I'm excited about that. Um, I help run the Rust Belt Rust Conference uh, that happens in the Rust Belt region of the United States. Um, I, I think we can already fill half a day with this. But. So you have one yeah. more. Oh, <laughs> one yeah. more, one more. <laughs> uh, yes, one more. Uh, I've, uh, I uh, own my own company, uh, Integer32. Uh, we do Ooh, rest consulting nice. and training. And now I'm done. That's everything. No, no we're not done yet. <laughs> we're just beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think for uh, before coming to Rust, so what what was your experience? How how what attracted you to Rust? Sure. Uh, before I did Rust, I was a Ruby on Rails programmer. I worked at uh, a few startups um, doing Rails stuff. The w- one right before I got into Rust was called Think Through Math, and we had a web app that mm-hmm. did remedial math tutoring for uh, mm-hmm. elementary school kids. And it actually was pretty high traffic. Um, like the, the entire state of Texas used our app, uh, which is pretty neat. And we started hitting a lot of performance problems because Ruby is a garbage collected, uh, interpreted language. There's only so fast, you, so fast you can get that. There's, it allocates a lot of memory uh, to do even the most simple uh, request in Rails. And at some point, to make Ruby go faster, you have to drop into C. And I am terrified <laughs> of C. I should be nowhere near production C, but I wanted to write faster code. And this was about the time that Rust was starting to pick up. And Steve Klabnik is a good friend of mine. He used to live in Pittsburgh, but he had moved away at this point. But he came home every year to visit his family around Christmas. I think I think I have been telling this story as two Christmases, but I think it was actually a Christmas and a summer visit. And so the Christmas visit, he was like, oh, there's this cool new programming language called Rust. It's really neat. And it's like, Steve, mm-hmm. Steve tends to get excited about new things. And it's like, okay, Steve, that's great. But then... <laughs> He came home for the next visit and he was still talking about this Rust thing. I'm like, okay, if it's if this has captured Steve's attention for this long, it must actually be something really neat. Um, so it's not a passing fire or anything. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, around that time, he had started writing uh, the book Rust for Rubius. And I was like, oh, hey, it's for <laughs> me. I can I can do this. It's it's not scary see that I sh- I'm not smart enough to write. Um, and there's this book that's just for me. So I started reading it and I started sending in pull requests for typos and stuff that didn't work. Cause this was before one Oh, so Russ was changing mm. all the time. So his book would get out of date really fast. Um, and I, I was having a lot of fun with it and started getting involved with more and more with Rust. And, uh, Steve started working for Mozilla and, Rust for Rubius kind of morphed into the guides that were shipped with 1.0. And those guides sort of were the basis for the print book. Hmm. And Steve decided he needed some help getting the print book. It turns out a lot of work and like <laughs> editing and 
we're going, going over the text multiple, multiple times to get it ready for print. Um, so because I had been sending him so many pull requests uh, for his books for so long, he asked me to be a co-author on the book. And um, wow. I was super honored to be part of that project. It lasted way longer than we thought, uh, as, as most projects do. Um, but I'm really proud of the work we did on that. Um, and I hope it has helped more people get into Rust because I really enjoy Rust. I think it's a big step forward for the industry. Um, it's fun to write, I think, and I want to help more people get into it. So this uh, Rustlings uh, thing. So I know that there is a recently um, nice update to Rustlings, and I just installed it on IntelliJ because there is a plugin to run yeah. all this Rustling stuff, which is super cool. Uh, can can you tell? us more about rustling so yeah. what is it and then how it is useful so i started it around when i was getting into rust and starting to use rust in real projects and i kept getting frustrated because i would be trying to add a feature to a project i was working on and i would get these errors that i didn't know how to fix so i was being taken out of context of what i was working on and had to go fix these errors and the rust compiler is very strict and and tries to be helpful, uh, but I I was thinking that if I could just spend some time practicing fixing those errors by themselves, and then I could go back to my problem, and then I wouldn't be I would know how to fix the errors when I got them. It wouldn't be quite as getting me out of mm. context. So wrestling is a whole bunch of code examples that they intentionally don't compile, and your job is to fix them so that they mm. do compile. Um, and I got it to a certain point and, uh, didn't have much time for it. And it's since been taken on by, uh, Marissa, the community team. And now it's in, uh, IntelliJ. Uh, yeah. Um, it is which really, is really, because exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I very, I started very, very like the simplest thing that could possibly work, which is like a text file that then gets turned into a link to the playground and and the hints are like it comments at the bottom. And now in IntelliJ, it looks like really neat. There's like little little light bulb hints in the sidebar. And it's all pretty. And I'm like, oh wow, this is so great. Yeah, yeah. it's so much nicer than I. I did. think it's part of this uh, JetBrains education uh, plugin or something. It's really yeah, super it's really cool neat. for the beginners like me. I can just go through all the exercises one by one, and hopefully you know do it uh, learn learn more things about it. That. And thanks for starting it, by the way. I think, of course, it, it has taken its own life, but still, I mean, that's the biggest. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. I, I like the see. idea. Yeah. I mean, we we um, mm -hmm. recently hired uh, four um, people at work, fresh out of um, like a code boot camp. So they've oh. um, never programmed before. They did it at the boot camp, and now they're they're joining the organization. And like the, one of the hardest things to teach them. At, I mean, at least to teach them right now so they can be productive is sort of like, how do you go about, you know, debugging errors? You know, like either it's not compiling or it's very obviously crashing at startup. Because uh, at work, you don't use Rust. But yeah, yeah. like these Rustlings are in fact amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you use a whole bunch of common mistakes and like you'll get an error and like, how do you reason about this? And I like, tried to figure it out and some exercises around that. And it's actually yeah. I mean, super useful. Like I like it because it's hard to teach. Like it's hard to explain. Yeah, like I have a I have a degree in computer science, but I rarely use 
much of what I learned there. <laughs> like I learned so much starting out yeah. as a programmer. Yeah. And even the boot camps that are trying to be more apprenticeship kind of things, they're so fast and and just cram everything. And there's just so much to learn. But yeah, just yeah. the skills of being able to notice the problem, break it down, isolate it, uh, do test, make hypotheses on what yeah. how it could be, do tests to figure out if your hypotheses are right or not, uh, be able to write up what you found in a way. Mm. If you're reporting a bug to someone else, be able to describe the problem in a way that they can yeah. understand what you're talking about. Like all of these skills are so hard to teach and so hard to, to so so important and so hard to practice. Yeah. Um, I mean, teaching and, language is easy, yeah. right? Because it's syntax and, yeah. and a couple of libraries, but this this model thinking behind it is is pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So com- coming from Ruby and I think it seems to be like a language is starting with RU for you, <laughs> like Ruby and Rust. Yes. <laughs> so c- coming from Ruby, what are the things that, that you feel like, yeah, you know, this is better in Ruby? Oh, uh, so I love Ruby. I'm not, I, yeah, I don't want to, they're just very different choices that mm. they make. Um, one One thing that happened a lot at, at this job that I worked at is we had like an error reporting service and we would get errors in production all Mm. the time. And a lot of them were, you know, hard to track down and hard to reproduce. Uh, One of the most common varieties was uh, undefined method on nil, which, (laughs) which would mean that somewhere in our, you know, thousands and thousands of line of code, we had a nil value, Some, like a null, yeah. somewhere, and we were trying to call it. We thought we we thought we had a, a valid value, and we didn't. And so, so, and in many other places, we had to put in checks, like, okay, if this is null, do this. If it's not, then do this. Call these. Met- There's like, yeah, all sorts of yeah. stuff because of Ruby's dynamic typing and all sorts of. Uh, kind of loosey goosiness about it. It's, yeah. Quirkiness. Like, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> and Ruby's <clears throat> sorry. Uh Ruby mm. is meant to be uh meant it's optimized for programmer happiness. So you just kind of like write English almost and it mostly works. And you can kind of like run code that's like half written and um <laughs> you know deploy it to production really fast. And it's yeah. great for some things, but for running a production service, I I don't want to have maybe nothing and maybe something and not know and not be sure what I have and be able to change what methods are. I don't. Uh, I just yeah. got tired of those errors and I just love that the Rust compiler is strongly typed mm. and has the option type and yeah. enforces when I have the option type so I can be sure when I have something and when I have nothing. Mm and that I've yeah. handled all the cases and that I've looked at every place where the code might fail and I and have handled that appropriately or I have mm. you know expects that I can search for and yeah it's just it's uh and and the memory <laughs> uses it's just amazing yeah. like 
I sometimes I just look at Kraseo's uh, resource usage graphs and I just sit there and laugh because it's like tens of megabytes of memory when like booting Rails takes like 250 mm. uh, to do nothing. Yeah, yeah. And that's just yeah. that's just what it takes to run it. But we the graph is just like all so tiny. You need a different usage. scale. <laughs> yes, it's totally yeah, different yeah. scale. And yeah. a fun a fun thing we like to um, we like to say a uh, quote is that uh, Crateo spends more to store our logs than it does on like the the machines that the it runs on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just wow. uses uses so few resources because it doesn't need to allocate tons of stuff. And and it's a lower level language, but I don't feel like I'm writing C. I feel like I'm. Yeah. It's not. It's not Ruby. It's not quite like English. It definitely has its mm. quirks. But you get the higher level stuff like the iterators and um, closures and uh, traits yeah. and oh, it's just so nice. <laughs> I mean, I I know I'm talking that, to that, people listening to a Rust podcast, so you know I, I know you know what I'm talking about, but it's very oh, nice. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are there is there is a lot of cross pollination. I yeah. mean, uh, I'm I think we uh, we are we are kind of a minor internet celebrities in closure world. So I'm guessing at least one out of those two people will be listening to this, <laughs> this podcast as well. <laughs> so that that I'm pretty sure. By the way, I think recently I I read something. I I usually used to say to people who I'm working with and also to myself is that code is um, read more than it is. You know, it, 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 it is yes. written once, oh, but it is read more. Yes. I was going to mention and, that and earlier when we were said, talking about yeah. uh, skills, um, that yeah. that's another skill you get with rustlings is you're handed a bunch of code that you've, you didn't write, you never, you've never seen it before. Yeah. You mm. have to read it and figure out what it's doing, what it's yeah. trying to do that it's not doing. And how to yeah. change that, and that's so so often in school and in boot camps and stuff. You're you're given a blank slate yeah. to start a project on yeah. your own, and yeah. it's the, it's the reading of the code that happens so much more on the job. And even even exactly. reading your own code that you wrote a month ago is like it's like reading a different yeah. person's code. <laughs> It's a, it's a it's a famous thing, right? Like where you go, which idiot wrote yeah. this, and then you go look at yes. the git blame, yep. and you're sort it of like, me. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah, um, I've done that more times than I want to. Mention. Yeah, yeah. But the funny thing is, somebody added one more layer to that. Like, um, you know, why you should be using Rust is that because code is run even at a higher rate than it is being read. So that means you want to have like a minimum problems when the code is running mm -hmm. and then code is, you know, read and then code is written. So written once and then a magnitude of times read, but several magnitudes more while it is running in the production, the same line. Yeah. So it has to be way more uh, awesome in the, in the production or mm -hmm. something. But yeah, it's, it's, um, I think this is, this is, uh, but from c coming from dynamic language, was it more challenging for you to think about all these uh, allocations and you know the borrowing and, and all this stuff? It's it's definitely a different frame framework, a different mental yeah. model. Um, but I I feel like because of the choices the Rust compiler makes, it makes it easier to think about where your allocations are happening and where 
where mm-hmm. stuff is getting freed. Whereas with a garbage collector, you don't have any, you don't have as much control. You have these, you have various parameters you can tune, but ultimately yeah. the garbage collector decides when it's going to run. Um, and the language yeah. decides the rules of when the garbage collector is going to run. And I I spent tons of time figuring out a, a lot of the our rails requests were slow because we were um, like allocating, we were like bringing back a whole bunch of stuff from the database and allocating a whole bunch of objects for mm. it that we didn't really need to be doing. And I've spent tons mm. of time tracking that down and it's not that you have to use like a whole bunch of tools to instrument yeah. your code and try and figure that out. And uh, it's, and you can still get into those cases with Rust, but it's just a different, I feel like I'm on a different scale. Like I would have like hundreds of objects in in Rails that I'm chasing around all different parts of the code base. And, and with Rust, it's like, okay, I've got like 10 objects here. There was, well, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, so, so there's a talk I did uh, and there's, there's like notes and stuff uh, online about this that I called uh, Rust Out Your C. Um, I took a mm, yeah uh, the Zopfly compression library uh, mm. is a C project, and I rewrote it function by function into Rust, and you can use the FFI so that uh, at every commit, I could run the tests and verify that it was still doing the same thing. Oh, it's mm. working. And oh, nice. after okay. after I got the whole thing done, I went back and like profiled uh, each commit. And I found out that like halfway through, I was um, allocating uh, like a huge array of floating point numbers on the stack. Uh, and I didn't realize I was doing that. And that that really affected performance a lot. But it was still like the scale was totally different. It was like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it was taking tens of seconds instead of uh, single digits of seconds um, or yeah. seconds and and fractions of seconds um so Mm. it's you can still get into those situations where you have to instrument and profile and measure but i feel like Mm. rust you're you're at a totally different order of magnitude with rust than with ruby yeah so the way the way i heard this described in a talk was like when you know in the normal language when people say like yeah um we're we're slow or requests are slow because of the garbage collector. It's not actually the garbage collector. It's like your code's generating garbage, you know, too much. And so the garbage collector has to work. <laughs> um but but I think to a certain extent, like languages like Ruby don't make it easy to spot these things. It's sort of that there's a garbage collector, it will clean up after you. And there's a whole bunch of constructs which sort of just, you know allocate a whole lot of things and like they don't really make it obvious and like rust makes it obvious so you sort of up you know say just by writing it in rust or idiomatic rust you'll allocate a lot less just because it's all a lot more obvious yeah Um, and like you will just Mm -hmm. generate less quote unquote garbage or whatever just because it's much more upfront in you know or like the way rust wants you to structure things will sort of like eliminate a lot of that yeah yeah, and and people make the argument sometimes that you know hardware is cheap. We should just throw hardware at it instead of throwing programmer time at it, which is more expensive. Um, but like running that hardware 
over the long term is not actually cheap. It's not free either. And, and we're, hmm. we're spending yep. lots of electricity that's, you know, yep. contributing to global warming and all that fun stuff. This, and I, um, this point was better made by uh, a former coworker of mine on another former coworker's podcast, um, Andre Henry on Matt Machuga's podcast, uh, Bits and Trees, right. and I can provide a link to that. But yeah, Andre, yeah. like, yep. basically made the claim that we have a moral imperative to optimize our code uh, because there, it, uh, especially when I think about like Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, all oh, the electricity running. At, and like how how wasteful are we being and i don't i don't know you know like cows are probably making it worse than us but we're not helping <laughs> either I'm, I'm pretty sure cows are not making you know cows are not uh, making bitcoins no, at, sure. at least no, at least cows have some yeah <laughs> but, but, but yeah. at least like there's some function to it like with bitcoin even that's debatable right like we're yeah, yeah. effectively yeah, yeah. just you know burning the planet for no reason yeah yeah so yeah i mean it, yeah. i think it's that's it's also regarding the cloud resources and everything right i mean we just yeah. throw in like more and more at at the tiny problems and then just run them with this kind of ridiculous amount of computing mm. power that is squeezing the grids and and using so much of energy and producing heat and um, i don't know what kind of electricity all the clouds are running at i think there was a talk at uh, heart of closure or something talking about uh, identifying which cloud is running on carbon neutral mm. Stuff. Interesting, uh, but but it is still. I mean, as you said, it it makes sense that if I can run it on one machine with uh, I don't know two processors, why do I need eight gigabytes of RAM and then quad core machines to run this thing? Yeah, and like it's all hmm. trade offs. There's trade offs for every engineering decision, but maybe we need to trade off a different way than we have. Yeah. This is blog yeah, post. Yeah. Um, from well, it's a while ago now, but effectively, um, like the the hello world example of Hadoop was sort of uh, was it a word count of Wikipedia or something? Yeah, yeah. And word so, count too, yeah. so yeah. that was like the hello world. It's like Wikipedia is large, and you do a world count on this. Mm. And um, I, so the the author of this blog was sort of thinking like, well, Wikipedia is large, but it's not that large. And so he he did it just using shell tools on his laptop, and it was faster. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah. <laughs> I think I think we we, we got uh, we got spoiled by this um, hardware being cheaper. Yeah. I don't know how the world would have been if if the memory was super expensive and the storage is super expensive. We could have come up with. I think that that lack of constraints created these proliferation of yeah, you can do whatever you want because you know who cares? I'm gonna throw in another gigabyte of memory and mm. then. Hope it is going to work. Yeah. I think uh, we should put more constraints then. I think there should be a cloud that says you only get like Raspberry Pis with six <laughs> megabytes and build your shit on this one. And then people will come up with creative ideas. Remember, I think there is like a JS uh, yeah, like uh, competition, right? In, like one yeah. KB. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should have more of yeah. these things. Like, you know, write, write this shit in the uh, smallest possible yeah. way. And then all the enterprise stuff will disappear. <laughs> but it, it is it is just mental. I mean, I, I manage like a kind of a big data cluster and we have 16 metal nodes with, I don't know what, uh, 30 terabytes of uh, space available. And it's just running yeah. constantly, day and night. And yeah, that's true. 
but so i think you know using languages like rust is obviously you know that's going to help people to decide at least some kind of yeah. trade off right they they can think about how can we contribute there so speaking of that that level of scale um can you give us some insight into how crates io is built like what 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 is it using yeah. in the back end and so um all the secrets yeah. behind it how many raspberry pis do you need to run it <laughs> <laughs> uh we're we're hosted One. on Heroku. Um hmm. we were using two standard dynos. I think we just bumped it up to performance dynos or whatever that's called when you are on your own machine because we keep getting uh we we think we hypothesize that we are uh seeing some noisy neighbor problems, but um we're not quite sure. We're trying to uh. trying to rule that out. Um hmm. But it might be some interesting Postgres database issues that uh, another maintainer, Justin Geibel, is in, currently investigating as we record this. Um, but yeah, the back end is Rust and the front end is Ember. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like, you know, it, it seems straightforward when you say this, but I realized the other day that Crates.io wasn't, didn't exist when Crates.io was written. Uh so, so it's actually kind of a uh, legacy Rust code at this point. Alex Crichton uh, started it and wrote most of the original code, um, and it it's using a, a tiny little framework called Conduit, and I think it's the only application using Conduit that I know of. Um, so we're not using okay. any of the other frameworks right now. We're still like at this point, we're we are a stable production web server that with a lot of users, so we're actually pretty risk averse to making changes. Um, hmm. So we're not gonna we're not gonna like swap out yeah. to some web framework and then swap to a different one next week. So we're kind of we're, we're waiting. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the code is a little messy. Um, at you know, as all projects are that that are a few years old yeah. they're not they're not quite as clean as you <laughs> have, would have liked them to be um yeah today <laughs> and then you you rewrite it today and then after three months you're like oh this is messy again <laughs> yeah yeah entropy and software is a really funny thing like even <laughs> even if you just leave the code sit there like we we interact with s3 and um you know git and cargo and the stuff around the app changes and and uh, mm. it can yeah. degrade your app it's it's really strange to think about that yeah that i don't know that's yeah <laughs> i don't know where i was going with yeah that. yeah um <laughs> entropy and even if you're not touching your software it gets messier and and stops working um but yeah, so we use Diesel to connect to a Postgres database, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we're working on moving to Ember Fastboot, which will let us do some more server-side rendering. And I mm. don't know very much mm-hmm. about Ember, so I'm learning a lot from some volunteers helping us out, uh, Tobias and Locks. They have been really great. Um, mm. But yeah, uh we would love to have people 
help contribute. It, I know it's tough to get started on a code base and get up to speed and and it's a, a bigger project compared to some other projects. But I'm trying to yeah. keep some uh, issues with instructions on them uh, open and mm -hmm. trying to be as, avail as available as I can to review pull requests and answer questions. So if you're looking for a project to get involved with, we'd love to have you. And I'm, I would always love to hear, yeah. I, like, I don't, I don't know how to best onboard someone into a project. I'm, I just kind of like dive in and I start changing stuff and start following the code around. And I do, that's another thing. I don't know how to teach. And it's like, I, I've gotten on phone calls with people to like walk through the code base, but I, I don't I don't know how to make it more accessible, easier to get into. Uh, I would love to hear suggestions if people out there give it a try and let me know. I think I think I think you're you're, you're lying there when you say I don't know how to teach. <laughs> That's not fair. Yeah, <laughs> because because you you wrote Rust book that is so um, yeah. easy to get into and that's essentially teaching people getting started with this one and then the Rust in motion videos that you made and picking topics and yeah. going through the things those so, are both still like I mean, okay let's, I mean, take, you, you, let's you shouldn't take little say. little ideas and explore them in isolation yeah. whereas Crazyo is like okay let's mash up a whole bunch of these issues and dump them in a bucket and <laughs> hand you this bucket of of like old rust code yeah and yeah <laughs> you'll figure like, it okay, out <laughs> you know dump it out pull pull out the three pieces you need good luck finding those uh and you know <laughs> yeah, fix yeah. the problem with with the integration of two of those and don't break the third one while you're holding yeah. it like so <laughs> yeah i feel like it's a different a different challenge and i'm challenge. not sure how to solve that one so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. But what are the what are the plans then? I mean, uh, because it's it's holding up really well, as you said. Uh, you no, know, it's it's serving, and and you're you're totally right that you know your code base might be super mature and maintainable, and it's not going to be a problem. But all the external yeah. things keep moving, so they you have to keep up with them, and then you never know you know when they're going to break. Um, so what is the how how is the project managed, and and maybe that will give us a bit more insight into how Rust. Yeah. Working groups and, and yeah, so works. we have a Kurtzio team and we have meetings in Discord every week. Um, we have an issue tracker where we keep track of uh, we have like a repo with with our agendas for our meetings, um, and then the Kurtzio repo is just for the code issues and the pull requests. Um, we have mm -hmm. like. Definitely over a hundred open issues. I think we're at like twenty open pull requests right now. So, like, there's lots of work to do and not enough people to do them as usual. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're kind of just trying to make sure it's not too broken and maybe add some new features as as demand for them mm. comes up. I, yeah, I feel. I feel guilty and bad a lot of the time because because like there are things that could make it more useful to more people and we just don't have people to make that happen and and every new feature like makes it more complicated to maintain so yeah yeah uh, 
No, I think it's 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 extremely. Uh, this is this is because I I I worked in Java and and I published a couple of Java things and maintaining Maven and these kind of stuff and and um, I started pushing something to create Sio and then the whole experience is so seamless and I don't think you should feel like okay you know this is not good or anything because this is spectacular and and the way that it is working is is super frictionless. I think yeah. Walter also published his 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 crates as well. So I think that's the that's the idea, right? And it, it is holding up the infrastructure and and as as engineers as you pointed out, we are constantly thinking about how yeah. messy this is, and I think we are being oh, too critical on ourselves. And 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 this is this is open source stuff. You're 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 putting your yeah. your free time into it. You know, it's it's a passion thing, and this has been contention point in many communities, right? People putting so much of their work, and then some drive-by person comes up and then says, oh, you're still using Rust 1.1 one one, one dot whatever, you know, it should be updated to whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's... You're uh, right. I, I, can't, I can't take any credit for like the initial design of Crate.io or Cargo, which I think has been super important to the success of Rust so far. Like it's other systems, programming yeah. languages don't have this and you end up like... Yeah, having really complicated build systems, and we're not bringing in dependencies and rewriting everything yeah. yourself. So, I I think Cargo and Crate is really really important. So I am very thankful for Alex Crichton did most of the initial work. So I'm really thankful for everything he's worked on. Um, but yeah, open source. Yeah, and also I mean all yeah, the, all the work that you've been really doing. Because yeah. it's I have no idea how many people out there are using. Cargo and Crateo or the book or anything and liking it and having a great time because yeah. you don't hear from them. Um, so you hear when mm. that stuff goes wrong. Yeah. And it's it's hard to weight that stuff differently. Bert, Bert Sushi just did a really great blog post about uh, open source stuff and, and the yeah. whole active situation yeah. has been yeah. really unfortunate. Um, yeah. It's tough. But it is. I think it's a. It's it's a, of course. I mean, I, I, Steve wrote uh, wrote about it as well, which is uh, really Steve Kalamnik and and um, Adam as well. And and I think it 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 makes sense, right? Because I remember, like people, we have we have this tendency, like every five minutes, we look back and then say, "Oh, this is not good." You know, I need to improve on this. But you know, there are so many things that people are working on, and there is priority. Everybody has limited amount of time, and nobody's paying yeah. for this stuff for anyone. And uh, instead of being thankful and then trying to help, if if all we can think of as a community is complaining about the shit and oh this is not right and this is not right, come on! I mean, people yeah. have priorities, people have lives, and it's not like they're just sitting yeah. there typing code for you. <laughs> so we just, uh, I think more and more people should say how nice it is and and to yeah, have these I've, kind of things. I've lately and I've been trying to people. to thank someone every like. Ideally, I'd be doing this every every day, but you know, time. Uh, like once a week, like sending a nice email to someone. Yeah. And people listening to this, I'm not asking you to send thank yous to me. Don't don't send thank yous to me. Thank, send thank yous to people, any anyone who is um, mm. helping you. Yeah. Well, I, you you I just, should be on the I list don't as well. Be fishing <laughs> no. for compliments here, um, but yeah, I, no, I think no, no, we no. should all take some time out and. And thank other people. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, and also the the kind of projects like Creates.io, if they work well, they are entirely invisible. 
Like you just don't know they're there. Like that's actually the the pinnacle of success for an infrastructure project like that. Like you don't even notice it's there. It's instant, it's up, it's available, and it's not there. And so that also means that, yeah, it's kind of, people will only become aware of something sort of wrong. So it's just not wired up the right way. Or, or, you know, because, again, people are only going to become aware of your infra thing if it's actually acting up. And then they're probably not in the right state of mind to give you a compliment for the 99.9% of the time that it's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When it is working right, yes. nobody notices. <laughs> that, that's the yeah challenging yeah. part. At, at Think Through Math, one of the big projects I was involved in was we like completely rewrote the front end to make it um, more more usable on tablets because uh, it was like all flash mm. and all these videos and mm-hmm. it was just not. We like rewrote the whole thing and we actually did get a compliment from a school that was like this rollout of this huge change went really well and we understand what we've seen stuff like this go really bad so thank you so much so like and that was oh that's nice that's one of that's something i'm really proud of doing and and something i take pride in doing is figuring out how to make a change and not have any downtime and not have any uh disruption you know take yeah. take three steps to do a refactoring yeah. so that uh, you know, you, you won't notice anything on the intermediate states. Um, like like changing a car, mm-hmm. changing the tire on a car while mm-hmm. you're still driving it. That That's really satisfying yeah. to me to pull that <laughs> off. But you're right. Like if you do it right, no one even notices. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, you, we need to stop and then notice that, you know, every yeah. every minute, every second, somebody's typing, yeah. I don't know, cargo in it and cargo update and whatnot. And then it's just pulling all these dependencies from everywhere. I mean, millions of bytes floating around. Yeah. And that is all because of the project yeah. running smoothly, you know, on, on infrastructure and everything. So um, I think the big thank you for the, the Crates IO team and, and, and you and the rest of the gang that uh, who is helping on this one. Which is amazing. So, um, talking about the the uh, you know um, Rust code and then maintaining, and so you are also running your own company, consulting company, and this is the first we, Rust we consulting company. The first is that- in the world, it's which we're still yeah. figuring out if if that was uh, stupid or or prescient. <laughs> um, forward thinking. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. So it's a first yeah. mover advantage. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I think it's it's overall going slow but going steadily. Um we are seeing a lot mm. of bigger companies adopting Rust for more and more projects, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think I think this is to be expected because uh, the the people we're targeting most are the use cases for C and C plus plus, which are very conservative and uh, want to be very stable. Mm-hmm. So they they are not going to just you know switch to the latest JavaScript framework of of the day. Um, 
So our our yeah. adoption curve is going to be a lot slower. Um, but hmm. I, I'm seeing hmm. a lot of really good signs, uh, more usage all the time. Um, and I'm really excited to be a part of of this part of language uh Rust development. Yeah, yeah. And do you see any specific type of companies or or you know the domains that are getting attracted towards Rust? Um, let's see. There's some uh, embedded work yeah. that's interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, some like data processing. Some like high performance networking. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm blanking on other things. Yeah, so mostly I think yeah. the the places where the performance matters a lot, and then you also need yeah. the safety, probably. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. What were you saying? I was, I was, no, I was kind of wondering. Can, typically, the language has really come up with like a poster child application that's written in it. So, for example, I feel like Go gained a lot of popularity because Docker was mm -hmm. built in Go, and Docker became popular, and so that kind of brought a lot of attention to go I, I, that's my feeling no facts yeah. to back this up whatsoever um but i was i was sort of reflecting on it thinking like do i actually sort of like what what what's the poster child for rust from a project you know yeah, what, I'm, or is is it already there or what 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 should it be yeah maybe even? i'm not no. sure i think wasm is a good candidate um because mm. there isn't really uh like a um existing wasm thing you can you can target wasm from a bunch of different languages uh, yeah. but i feel like mm. the the infrastructure in rust is becoming the uh, the easier way to write wasm um and i think we're just starting to see the possibilities of wasm mm. to be used in different mm. contexts um so I think that could be really exciting. Yeah, maybe the servo engine from Firefox. I think that's one yeah. of the one of the things that uh, became, uh, especially with the performance uh, being the primary focus compared to the previous engine, and then uh, this one became super uh, useful. I think. Hmm. Yeah, there's definitely not like a Rails for Rust yet, though. Not like one yeah, exactly. framework that everyone yeah. wants to use. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is an exciting opportunity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there are plenty of um, amazing projects around uh, web-related things these days, right? I mean, all the, yeah. um, of course, Actix, and then there is other frameworks, uh, Iron, I don't know what it is, uh, something. Uh, there are many things that different people trying out different ways of building these things. So yeah. I'm pretty sure something will come up uh, already. So uh just to get into the the topic of the the training uh, people on Rust, so you did uh, Rust in Motion uh, mm -hmm. with Jake. So maybe a quick um, re an overview of what 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 is that one, and then what what yeah. people can learn from that that thing. Yeah. So something I saw a lot, um, like we were mentioning before, learning a new programming language is usually just about um, learning the new syntax differences. Uh, figuring out the docs, looking up how to do things in a slightly different way. Um, so 
I've seen a whole bunch of people who feel like they are good at learning new programming languages try to pick up Rust mm -hmm. and they they do okay. And then they very quickly like run full speed into a brick wall. And they're like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand this borrow checker. I keep getting all these errors. What's going on? <laughs> I'm, I used to be so good at this. I Something's the matter with me. And it's, I feel like the ownership and borrowing system are really different um, from most other programming languages. And it really, you can't just kind of dive in with the docs open in another tab and start writing Rust. You need to stop and and learn the concepts about uh, ownership and borrowing and lifetimes before hmm. you can get back into uh, looking up just what you need and writing a real project. So with Rust in Motion, we were trying to cover the concepts that are most different about Rust um, so that you can go back to the style of learning that you're most used to. So we, we have uh, a unit on the biggest syntax different, like, like, um, uh, basic contracts, like functions and structs and, and things that are different about mm -hmm. that. We have a unit on ownership and borrowing. Uh, we have a unit mm -hmm. on error handling because that story is really different. Um, and then the last unit is on lifetimes, which I think you can actually get really far in rust without dealing with lifetimes, but Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get error messages that talk about it. And and like with wrestling, I don't want anyone to be scared of error messages. Um, yeah. So just having like a, a basic mental model of what lifetimes are uh, and to know what the compiler is trying to tell you when it's complaining about something is what we're trying to do yeah. with Rust in Motion. So it's definitely not comprehensive. Okay. It's trying to give you the most different stuff about Rust. Yeah. So just to be clear, it's not a book. Right. right? It's, so a it's a video, it's a video series. Yeah. series of video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and also I think, um, I think another, probably the, in the interest of time, um, the one that, that I would like you to talk about is you're also running conference or you're, uh, yeah. For Rust, right? Yeah, I uh, help run Rust Belt Rust, uh, which has twice as much Rust in the title as other Rust conferences. Um, <laughs> yeah, so double yeah. the Rust. <laughs> so somebody somewhere is going challenge. Yeah, accepted. yeah. We'll have a new conference called Rust, 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 Rust. Um, <laughs> yes. R four. Yeah. Uh, so I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, which is in a region of the United States known as the Rust Belt, uh, where it used to be a lot of industry, um, mining, steel, and, and all that has kind of collapsed. And there, like, we're no San Francisco or New York, but there are a lot of people doing tech stuff around this region. Uh, and I wanted my, hmm. aside from running a Rust conference to get people all in a room talking about Rust, which is fun. Um, I kind of want to show off this region and have something local for the people in this region to go to. So we aren't going to San Francisco all the time because San Francisco has too many people. Stop. Please stop <laughs> moving to San Francisco. Mm. And it's, so, oh, it's just, it just like the billboards are all for software. It kind of freaks me out. It's just like, where, where are the oh. non-software people? It's just all, and, and you're like, 
You're yeah. like, uh, you go and get a coffee and like people at the next table are talking about JavaScript errors. And I was like, where, how can I get away from programming for a little bit here? I don't know. I, I don't like San Francisco. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel comfortable there. Um, but yeah. So is this filled with the uh, computing people? Is, is what filled? Mm. Yeah. The San Francisco area. Probably everybody working for one of these uh, software companies there. At this point, Kettle's router locked up. I couldn't find a nice way to stitch everything back together, so rather than hide the cut, I decided to lean into it. And what better way to do that than to treat you all to some theremin sounds while Carol connects back to the recording. Okay, this is Are We Podcast Yet? 3.2. After a brief break, we're back again. Software (laughs) is terrible. Yeah, it is. I think this became more like a software anonymous. (laughs) Software developers anonymous. So, Carol's router is not written in Rust. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's definitely (laughs) the problem. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I think we should tweet at these guys saying hey, you should rewrite this in R A A R. No, no, no. <laughs> that's no, actually that okay. That it's that is a serious problem for us as a community uh, because yeah. uh, people don't. We were talking about like open source burnout, like going yeah. to someone and asking them to rewrite their entire project in a totally different language is like a huge <laughs> request of someone that's not going to make them feel very good. Please don't do that. Even if they are, you know, experiencing the problems that Rust can solve, let them decide when they're ready. <laughs> yeah. Please don't that's do that. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I, like in every yeah. hacker news thread about Rust, I see people being like, oh, all the Rust evangelists to tell everyone to rewrite. No, no. We have to stop that. Yeah. That, uh, Th- those were some of the uh, alternative titles for the podcast, by mm-hmm. the way. It's like the Rust Evangelism yeah, Strike Force. Yeah. And then... <laughs> and then it, first. Yeah. yeah. And then the uh, the other one that we were thinking about was Compiler mm-hmm. Says No. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like we settled for this. It's, it's slightly <laughs> better, we <Yeah>. hope. <laughs> so we, we were just uh, talking about the Crates.io thing before Crates.io, right, Wouter? Yes. Yes, yeah, just want to because you said like, well, the project creates IO predates creates yeah. IO. So how did that work? Uh, so it was all the crates were Git uh, dependencies because uh, you can specify okay. to just pull a crate from a Git repo, and you're not allowed to publish those to crates IO, but crates IO didn't exist at the time, so that didn't matter. Um, and there's a fun mm. commit that I found that's like. <laughs> the first commit where Crates.io could build from the crates on Crates.io and it like changed the whole cargo toml to remove all the Git stuff. And so that was that was kind of a neat uh, commit to see. Yeah. Yeah. But there have there have been uh, occasions when our our tests will fail. Like there was there was some point where Travis was having trouble uh, connecting to S3 or something to download crates. So 
Crates.io's tests would fail because Travis couldn't get to Crates.io. And it's like, what what are what have we done to ourselves here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Inception. <laughs> those are trick those are yeah. I, mean, I find those interesting problems to think about though. It's uh so that's like how do you because it's I mean it's like recursion or this inception yeah. type thing is is fairly common in in you know software engineering and so finding elegant ways to deal with that I, I don't know, find that yeah. an interesting subject <laughs> so crates was uh, crates io before having crates io yeah. was using git dependencies yeah. from cargo directly mm-hmm. and then it just swapped into crates io oh, that's awesome so um to loop back to where we were, yeah. uh, so we were talking about you're talking about Rust Belt to to bring. Uh, no, I mean we we were actually talking about San Francisco being yeah. swamped with yeah. know, all these software people here everywhere. <laughs> so you're you're trying to keep the name right. Rust Belt, but change the semantics of Rust Belt. Yeah, the Rust Belt is now for <laughs> the Rust programming yeah. language. This is what I'm trying to do. Uh, yeah, there's. So there's yeah. actually um, that, that a hockey sense. player on the Pittsburgh Penguins whose name is Rust, and he's actually really good. Um, mm-hmm. So I oh. have been tempted to see if he would come speak at the conference, but I think I would probably be the only one who would enjoy it. Um, everyone else would be like, "Who is this? Who is this? And why are they here?" Like I could, <laughs> uh, I could feed him jokes that like apply to both hockey and. Rust programming and oh, it would be so good, but I feel like yeah, Rust, yeah. Okay, yeah, that sounds challenging. But feel free to come dry run them in the podcast. By the way, it's like <laughs> yes, yeah, because there there are definitely times I I uh, like like he'll go and uh, get a get a goal, and I swear there was one time when when the announcer was like Rust is fearless. I was like. I need a recording of that. But yeah, I haven't got it. But yeah. <laughs> like he's fast and, you know, oh, it's, it's good. I like when different worlds collide like that. That 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 makes sense. I think we should use, um, I don't know, him as the Rust ambassador. Then he, he doesn't need to do yeah. anything. Like he's just yeah. the, he has the name in it. So Or, or just clippings of him in a game, essentially, because it's, it's actually the... the not the narrator, but the commentator. Yeah, commentator. Is yeah, yeah. The, is that a yeah. proper word? Okay. Yeah. Because like, that's that's where the, <laughs> that's where the attention comes from. Hey, Rust is really fast. You know that, that's sort of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or maybe there should be a cargo plugin that every time it compiles, it's gonna put this <laughs> audio <laughs> sound for you. <laughs> goal. Every, every Rust time. Got a goal. Yeah. I think car- cargo rust. Um, what do you call it? like a um, uh, cheer up band or something? And yeah, then just yeah. get all these all these waves, and then every time it compiles, it's gonna just shout at you, and then like, oh, awesome! And I mean, people do all those kind of things, right? I mean, if you have a compiler or there is a dashboard that shows, and there used to be like a lava lamp in our office, so every mm. time there is a build fails, you know, lava lamp is gonna turn on, and then oh, something broken. Now we need to fix this shit, and and. <laughs> At some point, we had this Wi-Fi rabbit that keeps shouting when build goes down, and like we had all this weird shit. That sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Jenkins build connects to that one, and then he just shouts at everybody, <laughs> "Hey, build is broken" or something like that. 
that's that's a um, you know um, anxiety-inducing office, but otherwise it's fun. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna say, <laughs> but remote working is gonna be difficult, though. You know? Yeah. So, um, so we talked about uh, Rust Belt, uh, and you're also going to be in Europe, you and Jake. Yeah, we are both speaking at uh, Sec App Dev 2020, which is taking place in Leuven, Belgium, in mid March. Um, we're going to be talking about Rust, of course. We're doing like a, a yeah. full day workshop and a few talks. I'm doing my, um, I tweaked the title a bit. I'm now calling it a Rust is in it for the long haul rather than uh, 40 years because I don't want to put a uh, time limit on it. I think we, we might last longer than 40 <laughs> years. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I'm doing that talk. Um, Jake's talking about some FFI, uh, stuff to, to be able to get rust into, uh, situations and improve the security of your applications. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds good. I need to see if I can make yeah. myself available. It's not that far from where I am. So yeah, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Um, and then you're I'm not sure if we've done show notes before, but we'll put a link there this time. Yes, we we will, <laughs> or at least we'll we'll tweet it around and then put it into the in the podcast thing. Okay, yeah. so I think um, any other final words for Rustations out there from you, Carol? Oh, that's a so heavy, so many. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, keep writing Rust. Keep at it. Uh, if you're trying to learn rust like don't don't give up you can do it uh if this ruby developer who's scared of c can pick up rust you can too uh and let's i know i know what my last words are be in like instead of instead of making the same mistakes of uh c and c over and over again that we know don't work let's go make some new mistakes together <laughs> that's perfect wow <laughs> Let's make yeah. new mistakes together. And one takeaway from me is from this episode is that everybody should send an email to to Carol and make sure that you tell her how or anyone, you know, uh, appreciated anyone you would like you to thank for all the work. Yes, yeah. every week one person, <laughs> one open source person. I think that that's a that's a nice um, reminder actually for for people to do that. Like every week, tell someone that hey, you know. We're, I'm using yeah. your software. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I think that that would help. Uh, you know, improving morale across. I think all of us, in general, software people are uh, extremely self-critical. So, <laughs> I think this is a nice opportunity. Yeah. So, um, yeah. that's it for uh, Wouter. Any nope. anything? I mean, if I have to say my takeaways, <laughs> I kind of want to hear the theorem. Yeah, <laughs> I've been looking at the box for yeah, an hour and a half. <laughs> So I think if, if, if Jake, you're listening, you're going to be on the podcast and you're going to play Thurman <laughs> nice. on the podcast. <laughs> that, that should be the goal. And then we start the episode with uh, Jake's playing Thurman. And All right. It could be any tune. Yep. So that'll be awesome. And then we get him on the podcast and then we talk to him. And then uh, we'll have fun. So that's it from us for this episode. Uh, thank you, Carol, for joining us and uh, going through all the technical difficulties with our shitty setup. <laughs> and hopefully we'll, we'll learn from this one and then try to improve <laughs> it uh, before Jake comes Thank you on. so much for having me.
Jake. The internet's broken.